Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Thank you, music team. As Rowan mentioned a moment ago, David Griffiths is bringing the Word of God for us today, which I'm really looking forward to. And we're continuing our Christmas series, which is called All Things Are Possible. And today we're up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through to 38, and then verses 46 through to 56. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and he will give birth to, to a son. And you will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be barren in her six, she's now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be called blessed, will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Good morning, church. What an inspirational passage that is. Um, Mary's song, it's just one of those parts of the Bible that really stands out to you when you read it. Um, Not surprisingly, that actual passage is considered in the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church as one of the most important parts of the Bible. Having said that, I have to say I'll be very, very excited about giving this sermon this morning because this passage brings together three things that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, I'm like a big kid when it comes to Christmas. Not in the sense that I want to rush down on Christmas morning and see what's under the tree, but I work in the city. So I love the build-up to Christmas and I think it's only something that you get if you work in the city because every few days leading up to Christmas, in the months leading up to Christmas, you watch as the workman unveil something from the night before, if you're going in during the early morning. And this year, it's been like 
Christmas has been reborn in Melbourne because I read everywhere about people saying they're not allowed to have a nativity scene, it has to be about Santa instead. But in Melbourne this year, every time they unveiled something, it was like, that is straight from the nativity. It was the angels on the light poles. Then the city square, they started to open that up. The first thing that got unveiled was the nativity. Then the Christmas tree, then Santa's workshop. It was like, fantastic, they've got a nativity. Same with the Maya windows. Great little story about a lost dog who answers his master's voice. A little bit of a Christmas theme there as well. And then there's the nativity. So that got me excited about doing the sermon today, being able to preach about Christmas. And then reading through this verse, it is such a powerful part of the Bible. It was impossible not to get excited about it after Luke told me what I was preaching on. And when I was studying, someone asked me once, how do you describe the Bible to someone who doesn't know what the Bible is? And I'm pretty sure all of my lecturers were expecting something very, very deep as my answer. My answer was, the Bible is life's little instruction book for everybody. If you live your life by what it says in the Bible, you can't go wrong. And that is exactly what this passage today is all about. This is God's way of showing the world how we should respond when he provides us with a challenge or something changing in our life. Now, I've titled this today, There's Something About Mary We Can All Learn From. (laughs) I am a film journalist. There was going to be a film joke in there somewhere. (laughs) Now, what also helped fuel me today was the fact that yesterday I met with the members of our MCG for the first time, and I realized that the guys that are and girls that are in our group are already living exactly what is in this verse, because... They're fired up and they're thankful to God. And that was the things that made me really, really excited about doing this. And just one of the things that made me so fired up about this this morning. Now, I'm going to ask you guys this morning for a little bit of audience participation. I I love the fear when you say that. (laughs) Everyone just kind of goes, is he looking at me? Is he looking at me? Don't worry, it's not going to be anything over the top. But the last few times I've preached... The audience participation hasn't been my idea and it hasn't gone that well. Um, The last time I preached, I preached on circumcision and Christianity. (laughs) That was the topic I was given. As I looked around the church, I realized that the audience participation that I was watching was grown men crossing their legs and looking very, very fearful (laughs) as I gave a description of how the Old Testament said that circumcision should be done. Uh, a time before that, I got up to preach after a screening of the film Courageous. I don't know how many people have seen that film. Uh, as I got up to preach, I realized that every father in the building was crying. Um, not easy to get up and preach when you can hear wailing during a sermon. But today, what I want you guys to do is, at different times during this, my sermon, I'm going to indicate times where we learn our big message from today that through God, all things are possible. And if you guys believe that, I want you to yell it out at that time. I want you to yell out, all things are possible with God. And I want to hear it. I want to hear it really loud. I want it to lift the roof off this building because this is the most important thing that comes out of this passage is that all things are possible 
with God. Now, here we center on perhaps one of the most important characters of the Christmas story. Mary is a person who is an ordinary person, we learn here, and we focus on the fact of how she responds when God delivers her news that's going to turn her life upside down forever. It's going to potentially put her in danger, and yes, to use a life coach kind of term, it's a game changer, and it's certainly a change in any game plan that she had for her life. Her life journey, another life coach term, is about to turn, take a turn in a direction that she would never expect, and the person, of course, we're talking about is Mary, Jesus' mother. Now, outside of Jesus, as I said, Mary's probably the most recognizable person from the Christmas story. That was illustrated to me this week when my wife and I went to see the Christmas displays in the city and we were standing in front of a nativity scene and uh, ironically, it has a great big passage talking about uh, how important it is to remember Christ at Christmas and then underneath it, it says, hashtag Xmas in Melbourne. It's like, you just took the Christ out of Christmas that you're telling me to put back in there. But this was illustrated by the fact that there was a mother standing with her children, and she's explaining the nativity scene to them. And she says, oh, look, it's baby Jesus, Mary, his mother, and what's his face, the father. (laughs) Now, as normal, the father was getting no recognition at that birth at all, something that Joseph's probably had to put up with now for a few thousand years. So let's take a look at Mary. Now, one of the things you'll realize that when I preach is I love history. drives my wife crazy. Uh, when we go to visit somewhere and I've already researched the history on the area. But when I'm preaching on somebody, I love to go back and also have a look at not only what the Bible said about that person, but what the history books say about that person. Now, the Bible itself actually doesn't tell us that much about what Mary was like as a person. But I had a quick look into some history books and we soon learn that the zero AD versions of E! News and the confidential celebrity gossip were reporting a lot on Mary after Jesus' birth and around his um, death and resurrection. Now, according to these history books, and they may be a little bit out with some of their facts, Mary was the daughter of Wokam and Anne and was a little bit of a miracle of, of herself. Her parents were devoutly religious and they could trace their lineage back to Aaron. But Anne had actually been barren for a number of years and she actually gave birth to Mary later in life than what most people would expect to be able to give birth to a baby. It's believed that Mary herself was also a devoutly religious person and while she lived in her family home, she had probably begun service and working at the temple when she was a mere three years old. So, tracing that through, we find that when these verses happen... Mary is probably aged around 12 to 14 and she's already betrothed to Joseph who many believe could have been aged anywhere up to 30 or 31 years old. Now, that's important because Joseph was a devoutly religious man, we know that. And for him to take such a young wife would have to have indicated that Mary was also deeply religious and that he believed that she was walking on the same path as him. And as one of the history books uh, basically described it, to be really blunt, Mary was a prize catch, but only for a religious man. Now, that's what I love about these verses, 
is Mary's devotion and faith. As you read through the Bible, you come across a lot of people who are described as religious. Yet when God announces what his plans are for them, they either refuse to accept it or they refuse to do what he asks of them and they wrestle with him. In the recent weeks, we've looked at Jonah, who's a classic case of that. Jonah's given a mission from God and he literally runs the other way so he doesn't have to do it. And then Luke looked at uh, Zechariah last week and we see that he demanded proof from God after God told him that he was going to become a father. And that's almost unbelievable that God tells you something and you demand proof that it's going to happen. Now we look at Mary's reaction to the angel, telling her that she's going to give birth to the Savior. Mary questions the angel, but it's very different to what Zachariah did. Zachariah wanted proof, but here Mary, on the other hand, ask some more questions, but they're more questions about clarification. She doesn't quite understand what's going to happen, but you don't get the feeling ever that she's asking God, you can't do this. She's basically just asking what's going to happen to me, which is a fair enough question. And it's a bit surprising in the sense that she doesn't question how this is going to happen because it's impossible. She's almost looking at it from a very analytical way of saying, well, what is going to happen? Now, as I said, Zachariah's lack of faith is alarming in the same way that Mary's strong faith could be seen as a shock to us all today. Let's recap a little bit of a Zachariah versus Mary thing here. Zachariah was a man, Mary was a woman. Now, in those days and times, that would instantly say that Zachariah is supposed to have a better handle on the Bible than what Mary is. Zachariah and his wife were elderly, so were pretty wise. Mary was young, so inexperienced. Zachariah and Elizabeth were married, so there was no real danger of anything happening if they had a baby. Mary is a virgin, only engaged to be married. So she's got some issues there if she falls pregnant. Zachariah doubted the angel's message. Mary believed it and just accepted it. Now, in Elizabeth's sixth month, Gabriel appeared to Mary announcing to her that she would miraculously bear a child that would be Israel's Messiah. Now, her child would be great in the sight of God and called the Most High. That's what it says in verse 32. And he would reign forever on the throne of David. We learn that in verses 32 to 33. This would have been such a shock to Mary. Not only is she having a child through divine intervention, but it's also going to be a child that's going to have a very, very important role in world history. Now, Mary does request uh, something of the angel here, but it's not a not a sign. From, it's purely clarification. So if we go back to the Zachariah versus Mary, Zachariah wanted some kind of proof that him and his wife would have a child in old age. Mary simply wants classification as what she is to do. Um, There's no doubt there at all. She just wants to know, what do I do right now? And she's asking that because she wants to cooperate with the purposes of God, not wrestle with him. And she wants to learn how 
this conception's going to be achieved since she's a virgin? It's a fair enough question. She wants clarification, not confirmation. And that's the world of difference between her request and that of Zachariah. Her stems from her faith, while Zachariah's stemmed from his lack of faith. Now, Gabriel explained to Mary that she wouldn't need to do anything, that the conception in her womb would be the result of God's miraculous intervention. It was to be a miraculous virgin conception, and therefore the child would be called the Son of God. That's what it says in verse 35. Imagine that shock added to the fact you're going to have a baby, but your baby is going to be the Son of God. Again, Mary doesn't say, no, I don't believe you, or I can't accept that, I'm, I can't do this. She just accepts it in pure faith. Almost as if the angel is expecting there to be a little bit of hesitation, he um, gently reminds her that her elderly relative, Elizabeth, is in her six months of pregnancy, and she's considered too old to be having a child. It's almost like the angel was expecting a little bit of pushback from Mary, and he's like, well, I've got some backup here if you need proof that God can work miracles. But she doesn't, because Mary, it seems, has already grasped the fact that nothing is impossible with God. What do we say, everybody? Exactly. Now, Mary's response is a marvelous testimony to not only her own faith in God, but a submission to his will. It should also remind all of us that nobody is just a person in a church. The fact that Zachariah was a professional priest and Mary is nothing but an ordinary girl, in, that, in those days and times would have set Zachariah above the others. An aged priest, though, has less faith than a young peasant girl. And therefore, Elizabeth's blessing for Mary and of her faith in God's promise contains also a little bit of a rebuke for her doubting husband who did not believe the angel's words when uh, he first came to her. Now, as I said earlier, Mary's news was a real game-changer for her. And her response in verse 38 to that is, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. There is no pushback there at all. She is just completely accepting because she gives a sweet response because Mary knew all is possible with God. Everybody? (laughs) Now, to value just how strong Mary's faith is, we have to put ourselves in her shoes for a moment. To use a term that we hear so often these days, Mary had a pretty simple life journey worked out for her. She was working in a temple. She's about to marry Joseph. Pretty simple. Now suddenly this angel arrives with this message from God that completely turns everything around for her. You could imagine the things racing through Mary's mind at this time as this news was being told to her that she, a virgin, is about to fall pregnant. She would have the right, every right in the world to respond with, oh, yeah, right. But instead, she simply asks for clarification on how it's going to happen. As I said, there's no disbelief that she doubts that a virgin could be made pregnant by God simply because her faith has already allowed her to accept all is possible with God. Now, the next thing to race through Mary's head would probably have been, 
So I can accept that God can make me a virgin pregnant, but who out there is going to believe me? Now, working in radio, I get sent some pretty weird and strange things sometimes to talk about on air. And uh, we have a segment on our show where we look at weird stuff that's happened overseas uh, during that week. Now, not surprisingly, a lot of those weird and wacky stuff comes from the United States. I don't know why, but it just seems that that's a hub for everything weird and wacky. Well, recently we received a video clip from a television show, and it wasn't Ricky Lake or Jerry Springer, it was a news show in America that told a story about a young American couple. Now, the husband had just done two back-to-back tours of Afghanistan and had been away from home for a total of 14 months. Now, his wife fell pregnant while he was away, and gave birth to a baby that was born on its due date 13 months after his departure. Now, I'm not bringing it mass, but I know that 13 months is a lot longer than the nine months that a pregnancy normally takes. Not only did the mass not add up, but this was a very, very white couple, and their baby was very black. (laughs) Open and shut case in my eyes, but not for this couple. Because here on television, she's telling the world that she hadn't cheated on her partner and that she believed that she had fallen pregnant by sitting on a seat in a movie theatre that was showing Fifty Shades of Grey. Much to to my surprise, the man was accepting it. He totally believed it and was going along with her story declaring that his wife would never cheat on him. Yes, the words very gullible or extremely stupid were coming to my mind as I watched the clip. You get the feeling that Joseph was neither a gullible or a stupid man. So this news from the angel meant that Mary must have had some really deep concerns on how she was going to go about telling Joseph. She wouldn't have known at the time that an angel was going to go and visit him. She would also have worried about how she tells her deeply religious parents who have a um, standing in the public that she's pregnant as well. She would also have to worry about how she would tell her wider family and also her community that she was pregnant because in these days and times, if these people didn't believe her story, then she could find herself getting dumped, shunned, and as a worst-case scenario, stoned for adultery. But again, Mary is calm and just rest back on all is possible with God. Mary's life journey here is changed really, really dramatically. And I wonder how any of us in this room would have coped with news like that. I have a feeling that modern technologies made all of our journeys in our lives something that we don't really rely on faith with anymore. Think about our journeys in our cars. All our faith comes down to our GPS. And they fail us pretty regularly. I still remember the first time I ever used the GPS system. My wife and I were travelling from Pakenham to a wedding over the other side of Mount Dandenong. And we had a friend with us and she said, Oh, I'll bring my GPS. It'll get us there in, in record time. It'll be fantastic. What she didn't realise was that GPS systems have different settings and one of those settings says, do not send me on a gravel road, do not send me on the most direct route. 
because suddenly as we're driving across Mount Dandenong, it tells us to take a right turn, which we do, and suddenly we find ourselves on one of the bumpiest roads that we've ever found ourselves on. It was narrow, it was steep, there was huge rocks. Yes, suddenly our little Mazda 3 was on a four-wheel drive track. (laughs) So we did a turnaround, a very, very uh, slow turnaround, considering that there was a deep drop on one side and a cliff on the other side. Turned around, went back to the main road, drove probably another couple hundred metres, and it tells us to do another turn. This time we look and we see a dirt track going straight up. And that's at that moment, if it hadn't have been our friend's GPS, it would have been out the window. As you can see, there is no faith from a GPS that that thing is not going to send you on the wrong journey. Yet every day, we put faith in those GPSs. So what does that tell us? That we'll put faith in a machine that regularly does the wrong thing when a lot of people won't have the courage to put faith in God to send us on the journey that he's mapped out for us. For many of us here sitting in the room today, God has revealed a big plan for us and to us in the last 12 months. How many people here were happily involved in life at your past church and suddenly felt God asking you to come and start something fresh at follow? For many of us, it was a big, big step Maybe for some there was even a little bit of resistance. No, God, I I really don't want to go to follow because my friends are staying in our old church. Or, no, God, I don't want to go to follow. What if it fails? We should never question those kind of things when God tells us to do that. And I'll admit that I've been guilty of it in the past. Um, I left the church that I grew up in and for five years went to another church where I was part of the ministry team, I was part of the worship team, and to me it felt like the perfect church. Um, We were outreaching into the community amongst people that really needed our help, to, to drug addicts, prostitutes, people that really, really needed to hear the word of God. And I was enjoying my time there. And then one Sunday, I went back to the church that I grew up in, and I was talking to some of my old friends from the church, and one of those friends started telling me about the outreach program that they were setting up in that church, and did I want to come back and be part of it? And I didn't say it to her at the time. I went back to my other church, and I was like, no, no, I'm really happy here. I'm all fine. Then God started talking to me. And it was one of those annoying times when God starts talking to you, because he started saying, maybe you should listen to this woman and go back to the other church. Maybe they need your help. Maybe I want you in that church. And I'm saying, no, God, no, I'm really happy here. Look, I'm in a church. They accept my Christian heavy metal band. I'm doing your work. You wanted me here. I'm here. I'm doing it. Why do I want to go back there? And uh, But God was persistent and kept on dropping little hints all the time through other people. You know, it'd be really good to go back and try and do some of the stuff that you're doing here, there. I really want you there. And being stubborn, I wrestled. No, God, I don't want to go back there. That church is dead. They've got nothing. I'm happy here. I don't want to go back. Well, eventually I gave in. I did go back, did outreach there, and ended up marrying the woman who asked me to go back to that church in the first place. So God had a very distinct plan for me, 
and I was the idiot that pushed back and didn't want to do it. Now, that's why Mary's faith here should be a lesson to us all. As I said previously, Mary didn't question God's plan for her, no matter how believable or hard to fathom it was. She accepted because she knew that no matter how tough it got for her or how far she went out of her comfort zone, God had her back. When you read through Mary's song here in response to her news, you not only get a strong feeling of faithfulness, but also humbleness. Follow is the second church plant that I've been involved with, and during preparations for our last church plant, there was a person there who uh, we suddenly started to get worried about during the church plant. Alarm bells started to ring because he would constantly, in our meetings, say things like why he was important to the church and what he could bring to the church. And it started to become painfully clear to everybody else as part of the plant that while we were there to do God's work, he was there for self-gratification. It would be really easy to see Mary doing exactly the same thing here. Imagine people today reacting to how Mary's news would be to them. You can imagine people like Kim Kardashian bragging about how they were so perfect, so of course God chose them to bring his son into the world. Tweeting constant baby bumps with hashtags, perfect mummy, perfect baby. Then there would be the future Messiah maternity wear clothing label, the future saviour baby on board bumper stickers, just to show, it was really weird, it was one of those times of God's timing this morning as I was sitting down reading through my sermon again, the announcement came through that Kim Kardashian had a second baby. I wrote this about two weeks ago, her first tweet was, perfect baby is here, I was like, just sums it up exactly. You can also imagine Mary getting around wearing a t-shirt that reads, I guess God thinks there's something about Mary too. But Mary does nothing of that. She doesn't brag anything. Instead, her reaction is pure humbleness. Mary does it in a way where she does not view herself as better or holier than anybody else. She views herself as a sinner who needs God's salvation. And as the Lord's servant, she's there for mercy and grace. There is no hint that she thinks God has chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah due to the fact that she's really blessed, but rather she feels blessed as a result of God's sovereign and gracious choice to use her as his instrument. In verse 48, her blessedness is viewed as the result of God's grace. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations call me blessed. Now, I could talk all day about how Mary's response to her news is how we should all respond when God reveals a plan to us. <coughs> because every verse here seems to tell us, the modern day Christian, the perfect way to respond to a gift from God. Take a moment to read her song again. As Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of the servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. 
Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Reading through her song again, who can tell me how many times Mary thanks God for the fact that she's about to have a baby, not for the fact that she's about to have a baby of her own or that she's about to become a mother. Zero, not once. It's highly likely that Mary dreamt of becoming a mother and now she has the news that it's going to happen, but she doesn't thank God for the fact that she's going to have a baby. She thanks God for all the things that he's done in the past, not only for her, but for her ancestors, for the things that he's done in her own life, yes, and for the things that she believes that God will do in the future. And how powerful is what she says about the future. Mary chose to focus on what her child would accomplish as an adult, not what a child would be as a child. In other words, Mary's praise does not focus on the immediate blessedness of having the child. Instead, she looks at the ultimate outcome of the coming Messiah. She looks at the long range, not the short term. She views this event in the terms of the distant past, in terms of the covenant promises of God, in terms of the history of Israel, where God's mercy was shown to generation after generation. And in terms of the distant future, when the second coming of the Messiah would set things straight. Now, at this time for her, the social order would have been um, a little bit radical and a little bit violent. So, for her, she's seeing this as something that's going to be great in years to come. Not right now for her. She talks about things such as uh, how the lofty will be put down and the humble will be exalted. The hungry will be fed and the well-fed will be hungry. The poor will be helped, but the rich will be sent away. Looking back at it, it kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? When a person gives you a gift that you really want, your thoughts go to how awesome that person is for giving it to you. You don't suddenly thank the gift for coming into your life. Imagine if yesterday when the email had come through to say that Follow had land. Imagine if we'd all suddenly started thanking the land rather than thanking God for giving us that land. We have to weigh up those kind of things when we get given a gift from God. How many times does this happen in our own prayer life? We pray and pray for something, and then when it happens, we get so wrapped up in it actually happening that we forget to thank God or to praise God for it happening. It's from reading passages like this that we realize that when something great comes from God, we should be standing on the rooftops yelling out, all things are possible with God, and adding a huge thank you, Lord, to the end. Let me hear that, everybody. That's it. (laughs) The other lesson that we can take here is what Mary does immediately after she receives the news. Now, 
Again, you could forgive Mary for deciding that the fact that she's going to give birth to one of the most important babies in the world should mean that for the next nine months she sits in a comfy chair with her feet up and does absolutely nothing. But no, instead she races off to help her relative Elizabeth with her pregnancy. And once again, Mary shows her grace by putting somebody else ahead of her. And she's so excited that when she gets to Elizabeth and so excited about Elizabeth's pregnancy that Elizabeth has to actually stop and remind her to be excited about her own news as well. And that's something that we can learn about from these two women. Mary and Elizabeth's praise of God went much further than just the gratitude for the gift of a child. Mary's praise talks about her own experience, but quickly links God's character and actions to the past, to his covenant and promises regarding the future. So how shallow do our prayer and praise seem when compared to that of these two very godly women? Our praise normally tends to be almost exclusively on our pleasant and pleasurable experiences. We love to focus primarily on what God has done for us, and we try to seek more focus. on. But what we need to do is seek more focus on the character of God, His promises, and how He's working in history and the future as well. I challenge everybody here that that's what our praise during the Christmas season should be all about. So often, the Christmas story becomes about the baby in the manger. As we learn here, that's not what Mary's focus was. Mary's focus was not on the tiny baby that she would soon have in her arms. Her focus was on on God who sent this amazing Messiah for a coming earth. Now, Mary wouldn't probably have known too much about what was going to happen with the second coming, but we kind of get the feeling here through her song that she knew that there was something there. We need to focus on redemption and salvation, but we also need to look at things such as the setting right of those things which are unjust and evil. These things are still in the future for us, just as they were for Mary, and they will be accomplished at the second coming of the Lord. Now, that's what I mean about this Christmas. There's an end goal that I think sometimes we miss out on at Christmas. The end goal is a, is a term that a football team uses quite often. A, a coach will say to a team, we've got to focus on the end goal. You can kick three goals this quarter, but the end goal is we need to be ahead at the end. While it's great to celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, it's also important to remember that it's his death and resurrection that gives us eternal life. Our praise also, like that of Elizabeth and Mary, should not only seek to exalt God, but also to encourage those around us who may hear it. Too often, I fear, we find ourselves performing before others, using our praise to speak to men, to convey some kind of message to them, rather than to God. Mary's praise here was addressed to God, but in adoring adoring God, she also encourages and edifies Elizabeth, just as Elizabeth's praise encourages her. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.26, let all things be done for edification. Now, to sum up, it's very easy to see why God chose Mary 
to bring Jesus into this world. Her faith is one of the strongest faiths that you could imagine. Her trust and belief in God and her grace made her the perfect person to be the earthly mother and example for God's own son. There was indeed something about Mary and God did know that. Who's heard the saying that people say these days about they find it hard to believe that you need a license to drive a car but you don't need a license to have a baby? If they were handing out licenses for having babies, Mary would have passed with 100%. Now, as we talked about before, a lot of us have a life journey that's being changed at the moment by God and it will continue to change over the, the next 12 months as we begin something new but also expand something new with follow. Even for me, sometimes uh, things that follow have been a little bit daunting. Um, when I first heard about follow, I got really excited and I felt God really wanted me to be part of it and to be able to reach out into the community. But not long after I received that news, I also found out that I was very sick. Um, an infection that my doctors had thought was going to clear up very, very quickly had somehow got into my bone marrow. And doctors were using scary terms such as bone marrow transplant and things like that as a way down the path. Now, I suddenly started asking, God, God, you put this amazing challenge in front of me with follow and now you're making it so that I can't be part of it because I'm sick at the moment. And it was just really, really starting to get to me. And then I realized that God actually wanted me to just sit back for a while, have a bit of a rest and then come back fresh. But I didn't know that at the time. And I think that's something that we we fall into so often God puts an obstacle in front of us and we start to blame instead of wondering why he's put that there. Sometimes those things are, are things that we need to learn from and we might need to just sit back for a little bit because we need to be refreshed and then we can go into everything refreshed. I want to finish today by having a look at what we as the everyday Christian and as the modern day church can learn from Mary's reaction I think the first thing is to have faith. No matter what obstacles we feel have been placed in front of us, we always need to trust that God knows how to overcome them, will equip us to overcome them, and that they're part of his plan in the first place. He can do that because we know that everything is possible with God. We also need to be prepared for God to change your life plans. As I said before, I thought I was happy at my old church and that's where God wanted me to be. My life plan changed because God wanted me somewhere else and it was for the best that he wanted me to be somewhere else. Sometimes God's going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone, just like he did with Mary. And if he asks you to do that, we need to believe that everything is possible with God. That's the only way that we can step out of our comfort zone and go and do what God wants us to do. The third thing I think we can learn from Mary here is we need to be humble. If God asks you to do something big, we have to remember that we're doing it for him, not for ourselves. So we have to be humble and stay to his vision. 
Fourthly, we need to remember to thank him and show him grace. If God answers your prayer and gives you something like the brand new car that you've been praying for, we need to remember not to become wrapped up in that car so much that we forget where it came from. We need to remember to thank him daily and be grateful for all that he's given you in the past, but also what's going to happen in the future. We also need to remember to always be available for others. Again, don't become so wrapped up in God's plan for you that you forget that there's others around you who need your help. Imagine, this is how this was put to me once, imagine if a pastor of a church receives a message from God to deliver in his next sermon on the following Sunday. So he sits in his office all week and he works on that sermon and he writes God's word But all through the week, he's getting phone calls from people. Pastor, my marriage is in trouble. Can you come around and talk to me and my wife? No, sorry, I need to sit down and write my sermon. Uh, Pastor, I'm I'm in hospital. I'm very, very sick. Could you come and pray for me? No, I'm sorry, I can't. I need to work on my sermon for Sunday. God might have you wanting to deliver a message or doing a plan for him, but you can't forget the others that are around you that are going to need your help at that time. We also need to remember to praise and thank God every day. And more importantly, we need to read God's word. Mary's faith didn't come from nowhere. Her knowledge of the Old Testament here is sound. And that's why she trusts the Lord so well. Because she knows that he has delivered on all of his promises to her ancestors in the past. My Bible commentary actually describes this as saying that Mary was not only knowledgeable, but she was saturated in the Word of God. How many of us here today can say that we're saturated in the Word of God? That's something that we need to do so that we know that God is always there. If you read past things that God has done for people. There are so many miracles in the Bible. You can easily understand how he can do something in your own life. Last but not least, I think the thing that we can really take away from Mary's song here is that we need to be willing to accept that everything is possible with God. I could get you guys to say it a thousand times. I won't. But I could get you to say it a thousand times, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in your heart that everything is possible with God. So this Christmas, I set the challenge to everybody that whenever you see a nativity scene, I want you to look at Mary and realize just how important it is to be just like she was. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that as we go away from here this morning, that we remember to follow the example that Mary set in our everyday lives. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us over our time here at Follow. And Lord, I pray that we continue to remember that as we move forward. And Lord, we pray that you will allow us to help further your kingdom in our local community. Lord, I pray that as many of us feel challenged over the next few months and years, that we remember that everything is possible with you And that like Mary, instead of pushing back against your will, we accept the challenges that you have set for us and believe that it can be done. We thank you, Lord, in your name. 
Amen. Thank you, Dave. Let's show our appreciation to Dave today. A lot of good challenges in that message to think about during the week. We're now going to come around the communion table together this morning, and this is a really special time, something we do once a month in the life of our church. And as Dave has talked about so often today, our Christmas series is called uh, All Things Are Possible. And as we look through the Christmas story, we see over and over again the miraculous happening. Uh, you know, the barren women's uh, wombs being opened, virgins giving birth, things happening in the sky, um, shepherds being led. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And in many ways, um, the story culminates in the birth of a child. And the child, in many ways, is, an, is a normal, everyday child. But in many other ways, he's not. He's so much more. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in human form. And he's the greatest gift ever given. And it's really important to remember that at Christmas time. We also know, as Dave mentioned a moment ago, that the story doesn't end there. That Jesus uh, was born and he lived. At the age of 33, he died on a cross. This incredible gift given by God, sacrificed on a cross on behalf of our sins. He died for us. What an incredible sacrifice. You see, all of us have sinned. You know, it's, it's easy to think, you know, compare ourselves to others and think we're not that bad or whatever. But it doesn't matter how good or bad we think we are. The truth is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of, of God's standard. And because of that, there's an immovable obstacle between us and God. That, that obstacle of sin is something that separates us from a God who is holy and perfect in every way. And when we compare ourselves to that God, we realize pretty quickly that, that we're not holy and perfect in any way. And so we're separated from a God who is perfect. And that sin in our lives actually makes it impossible for us uh, in our own strength to have a relationship with God. We just cannot actually, no matter how good, many good things we do, we just can't earn a relationship with God. And so we are separated from him because of our own sin. But at communion, Jesus said to do what we're about to do in remembrance of him. And one of the, the critical things to remember uh, at communion time is that what was impossible relationship with God is now made possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that he lived, that he died, and he took our sins upon ourselves. And it means that that obstacle that separated us is actually taken off us and it's placed on Jesus, meaning that when God the Father looks at us, he no longer sees our sin and our shame and our brokenness and our mistakes, but he sees the righteousness of his Son. And in his eyes, we are seen as righteous and holy before God. Jesus took our punishment and handed us his righteousness. And that's what we remember at communion time, that what was impossible, relationship with God, is now made possible in him. And so at communion, um, as we stop and as we reflect and as we remember, we can say truly that all things are possible with God. And so as you partake of the bread now, I just want to encourage you to bow your heads and just to consider um, Jesus, not just his birth, but also his life, his death, his resurrection, the promises for the future. And as you do that, the worship team, the music team are going to play an item. And when that's finished, um, we will drink the cup together.